I shared with you that this is a great and magnificent day, and part of it, yes, is sending Matt and Shannon on to a work that God is so obvious that he's preparing it that it's going to be a blast to uh, stay in contact with. But then as I looked at this text and as I was drawing from it, I thought, I couldn't have planned this. Uh, Matt said that he wasn't going to leave until I finished up verse 21 of chapter 5. Uh, and it only took me, I think, six and a half, seven weeks to do that one verse. Uh, but then I thought, what's he doing here today? <laughs> because he should have been gone. But then it dawned on me what this text deals with. <laughs> Maybe the strongest teaching you're going to need, brother. <laughs> Join me in this prayer and then we'll read the word of the Lord. Father, you have brought us this day to your good pleasure. Father, you have done beyond what we could have imagined. And yet, Father, you're not finished. Father, as we look at this text over the next few weeks, and as we set the frame today, may we who are called by your name be encouraged, but understand the war we are in. Lord, give us ears this day. We, your ambassadors, Father, may we understand the task you've called us to. And in that task, understand the conflict that is before us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you've done. To the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Chapter 6, first 10 verses. 2 Corinthians. And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no cause for offense in anything, so that the ministry will not be discredited, but in everything commending ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance, in affliction, in hardship, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying yet behold, we live as punished yet not put to death, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. I called this the joy and sorrow of ministry. Apostle Paul's come out of the ministry of reconciliation. He's come out of contrasting the old covenant and the new covenant. And when I look at this letter in its context, the whole of 2 Corinthians, I see Paul's heart. I see the passion of the man. I see the innerness of the man. 
And yet now when I look at this section, these 10 verses, I see what is classified as the nature of ministry. If you are saved, you are a minister. Please understand that. It isn't that you got saved and you hung out with some really cool people, maybe went to a Christian college or something, and then become a minister. If you are saved, you are a minister. Paul's already told us that you are an ambassador to God. You're an ambassador for Christ. You didn't go up and say, hey, I think I ought to be an ambassador. He said, no, you're saved. You had the ministry of reconciliation. Now represent me to these people. The preacher, the minister, um, you know, and I was, I was thinking about this. I've read several different men's outlook at this, and I have to conclude with some of it. The minister, but foremost, the preacher. Okay, today, the word preacher is bad. You ever heard that? Don't preach at me. Okay, but it would be through the foolishness of preaching that the gospel would go forth. And I thought about this because when you've been in one church, like I have, do you understand that? I have never attended and been a part of a body of people except for this place. Okay, there's not very many people who can say that. And I don't know if you guys are just cursed or what. <laughs> We've been trying to get rid of him. He just won't go. Okay, but I've never been in another church. I mean, it's not that I didn't attend some churches. Okay, the church that I was baptized in burned down. I don't even know what that means. But this is it. All right. But when I think about it, when I've been in this community as long as I have. I've realized that the minister, the preacher, the one who is going to be bold for truth. Will be the most loved and the most hated individual in the community. At the same time. Those who hear. And believe. That person, that minister will become a spiritual hero. They will say it is the voice of God in his teaching. There will be great joy listening to him. There is great blessing watching and hearing him. He is an encourager. He is a source of hope. He is a bearer of truth. He proclaims God's word and he's unwavering in his stance on it. Those who refuse to hear. He is the voice of conviction. He is the voice of intimidation. He is a troublemaker. I was reading Linsky and he called it, quote, he interrupts into the tranquility of their shame. Unquote. <laughs> I wish I had a thought of that. <laughs> he is judgmental. He is self-righteous. He is a Bible thumper. And it's all because he only proclaims the word of God. Okay, but... Once you understand that, then you can back away and say, what did they do with Jesus? Think about it. 
there has never been a man more loved. You think about the people who would, with their tears, wash his feet. But there was never a man more hated. There are some who fell to his feet the ground and kissed his feet, washed his hair with expensive perfume, gave up everything, even his trade as a tax collector. Zacchaeus jumps out of the tree and pays back everybody. He's cheated multifolds and all the rest of it, all because of their adoration, their love, their passion for that man. They bowed in awe. They bowed in total worship. They put all of their hopes, all of their dreams, all of their desires, and all of their sources for eternal blessing on that man. Others spit on him. They mocked him. They beat him. They murdered him. He was an enemy to their religion. He was an enemy to their peace he was an enemy to their conscience he stirs the people up and their conclusion was execute him okay now we stand as his disciples please let me be very blunt about that he is not my mentor I am not an apprentice. I am a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And a disciple should not expect to be above his teacher. Charles Spurgeon's book, Lectures to My Students, said, Why is it we believe we should be hosted on the shoulders of men and carried out to the cheers as great heroes when they carried our king out on a cross. They treated Jesus in a paradox, in opposites. Those loved him and those hated him. And what if you're honest with Scripture, you will see to the degree and the passion that they loved him is to the same degree and passion that they hated him. In John's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 18, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. Now grab a hold of it because Paul's coming out of the text in 2 Corinthians saying, you are ambassadors, you are a spokesman, you are a representative of his kingdom. And the world thought what of his kingdom? They hated it. And if you're an ambassador of the king, guess what? You are his representative here. Why is it we believe that we just need to get along with everybody? They hate us. It isn't a degree of, let me see if I can make you feel better. They hate us. Why? 
They hated him first. Verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Do you get that? If you don't have this paradox, this conflict, you've got a very serious problem. If the world loves you, but you take the stand against what the world says. Right? Guess what? It's crazy, people. It is absolutely insane. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. That's amazing. Think about it. See, you won't find that in your little Jesus promise books. You ever seen those little books? All the promises of Jesus. You won't find that in the world. They will hate you. And if they persecuted me, you're up. That's paraphrased. Listen, brothers and sisters, you know, we can pray over Matt and Shannon right now and say you're getting ready to go. But I will tell you whether you're in Rapid City or Jerusalem. The world hates you. And that is how ministry is. Ministry is to be the most loved and the most hated. It is to be the most honored and the most dishonored. That is the sense of this sixth chapter of Second Corinthians that we're moving into. Everybody encouraged yet? You have to come face to face with the fact that there is honor and dishonor in ministry. And it does not mean what we read in Second Timothy, a vessel of honor and a vessel of dishonor. I'm talking about the man or the woman who stands in the grace that is in Christ Jesus will be dishonored and will be honored all at the same time. And it's going to be always for the same message. Listen, it is all of us. Please hear me. Regardless of your age, they do not care whether they pick on children. They do not care whether they pick on the elderly. They are going after the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and you are his representative. It is all of us. You and I who are truly saved this day have been given a ministry of reconciliation. Chapter 5, verse 8. All of these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, because this has been given us, this charge has been given us, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's why we're still here, people. All 
all of us have a responsibility to tell the world the good news. Tell the world, hey, you know what? You are separated from God. You are dead in sin. And the only way is to be reconciled. There's only one hope, and it is by faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ, who died for your sins and rose again to prove that God accepted it. He provides salvation and He provides forgiveness. Both are eternal. And we tell people the dire position that they are in. We confront them. Our lives confront them. We tell people that you only exist in a state of absolute hopelessness. But we tell them there's a possibility of reconciliation. That's what we do as Christ's ambassadors. That's why we're here. Those that hear us will be in two categories. Some will believe and they will love you. They will love you. Some will reject and they're not going to love you. It's just, it's really funny. Okay. And we call it, are you ready? Sin. That's what it is. Well, you don't understand. No, it's sin. Well, I'm an alcoholic. No, you're a sinner. You've made alcohol an idol. There ain't no problem with that. Just call it what it is. It's still sin. I mean, I have a sexual addiction. A what? It's sin. That's what it is, brothers and sisters. And when you tell people that, duck, (laughs) or do it at arm's length, (laughs) because that's what you call it. It's sin. It's sin. Let me ask you a question. Because I, I want you to know how serious this is. Anybody here been anxious about something? Worried about something. Huh? Some One or two of you. Do you understand that that's only a moral challenge? No. It is sin. You're saying I don't trust you, God. I remember a dear friend of mine's wife. <laughs> she thought she had the spiritual gift of worry. And I had to explain to her, there ain't one. (laughs) And then, well, mine is more of a concern. Keep going down that road, see what bus you hit. Okay? See, you can't do that. It is sin. It is sin. I remember when my daughter was going to go to Israel to study. Had people come to me. Israel. Don't they like have rockets and bombs and tigers and bears and oh my. And I said, yeah. Uh And they said, well, aren't you afraid that somebody could blow her up? I said, well, if God wants my daughter by blowing her up, he'll blow her up wherever she's at. Okay. Uh, All those trips that I made to Russia. They said, well, aren't you worried about flying? Well, if it was up to me, yes. 
<laughs> but some of these guys know what they're doing. And they said, well, what if there's a plane crash? If God wants me dead by an airplane, he'll drop one on me. Please understand, okay? We've got to get a hold of this because this is what the Apostle Paul's saying. When you confront that, there are some people who are going to back away and say, that dude is nuts. There's others who are going to back away and say, wow, he's right. That's why the church should be teaching doctrine. Let me tell you who God is. So when it goes south on you, you can say, God is still on his throne. Second Corinthians, I was thinking about this. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, 16. We looked at this a few months ago. It might have been a few years ago. Um, Verse 15 sets us up, says, For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. It's an interesting concept if you think about it. Our lives exist on this planet and we are a fragrance of Christ to God. But that fragrance is here on that planet. And he says this, To the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. It's one of the things that bothers me that I see in the evangelical church. I hear all of these quote-unquote professions of faith, and then you ask the people who make the professions, are you a sinner? And they say, no. Then what did you just get saved from? And what we've managed to do is make the gospel palatable so it isn't offensive. Okay? Hey, you want to go to heaven? Or you want to go to hell? You want to go to heaven? Say this prayer. All right, now believe. Next. Let me tell you something. First thing you got to do is say, you know what? You are hopelessly, desperately separated from a holy God. Oh, did I tell you? And he's really ticked off at you. And what you've done to him, he wants you to spend eternity paying the penalty. Well, that don't sound like the gospel. You don't get the good news until you understand the bad news. And that's one of the tragedies that's going on. I know people right now, if you ask them, they're not that bad. I ain't done nothing wrong. Until you said that, <laughs> you were doing fine. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? Because we, as Christians, are the aroma of Christ to God. That same aroma goes across both lost and saved. To the saved, it's like, yes, I'm encouraged. To those who are dead in their sin, it's annoying. It is death to death. You know, I, I kind of look at it. One is a perfume and the other is a stench. And yet it's still coming out of the same bottle. If I'm out of one container, I can be perfume and stench. I can't expect popularity with everyone then, can I? If we stay true 
to the message that we are required to proclaim because we are ambassadors, then honor and dishonor is our lot in life. We will be adored and despised, and I would like for you to expect it. We will be treasured. And yet we'll be disgusted. We are servants of God. And I've heard it. People have said it of me. Well, you're just narrow-minded. You have no idea. (laughs) That's what I tell everybody. I got one brain cell. And it's not lonely. I remember I wear it with a badge of honor when I was first called a Bible thumper. Because I remember dealing with them people. They used to drive me nuts. Now I are one. Listen, if you have the clarity of the message, understand this. It will bring conflict. Okay, do you hear me? It will bring conflict. Take the stand. You take the stand in this country today on the inerrant, authoritative word of God. You will have conflict. You know, I I think about it. I have to look at it as a preacher. And I remember young in my ministry that it seemed like I was either overwhelmingly sad overwhelmingly happy and it could be just moments in between and then all of a sudden I seen a pattern it is always that way it doesn't stop and I remember my wife one day looked at me she says why are you always so serious because those of you who, if, well, if any, I don't know if anybody in here knew me before I was saved, um, I was happy-go-lucky. Okay? Just woohoo! And then all of a sudden I became this, you're very serious all the time. You don't laugh about nothing. There's nothing funny. And then I learned that the apostle... You look at Paul's life. I remember, and I disagree with this man. I believe he is borderline heretic. I remember him talking about the Apostle Paul. He says, I believe that the Apostle Paul was manic depressive. And you're like, what? Yeah, he's manic depressive. And I was like, how, how? Why would you say that? Well, he says, rejoice again. I say rejoice. But at the same time, he's saying, I have great sorrow in my heart with great tears. Therefore, he's manic depressed. No, I think he's a realist. He's a realist. He was a preacher. I proclaim truth. Guess what? It causes conflict. There's time I preach it and I watch people tell me that I'm goofy. I'm nuts. He's a liar. He's deceived. He's a deceiver. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul being called a deceiver? I'd break his heart. And yet, there's other times he could say, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. And you say, well, how do you get those there? Well, there's joy in the positive response. Isn't there? 
You roll truth out and a person is going through the ringer and all of a sudden the light comes on and they say, Amen. And you're like, wow. (laughs) And you don't know what to do. But you roll truth out and then they walk away mad at you because you gave them truth. And it's your fault. Why'd you say such mean things? That's what I always get. You should have just said it different. Truth is truth. Here, let me tell you a lie first, then I'll give you truth. Really? No, you give them truth. Well, but if you'd have said it, no, it ain't got nothing to do with it. You're trying to kill the messenger instead of hearing the message. There's sorrow over the negative response to truth. That is the issue between the believers and the unbelievers. When I think about ministers, specifically I have to do it from a preacher's perspective because that's where I am. But ministers or a preacher is the world's happiest and the world's saddest creature all the time. It never stops. And you know what? The Apostle Paul's in the center of this. He loved the Corinthians. He didn't, you don't realize that we don't have him writing as many letters to anybody else but Corinthians. And then, you know, then they'll stand back and say, well, you see the problems in the Corinthian church. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I believe that he had a love for these people. I believe that he went to this awful city, a disgusting city. Pornography was the norm. Everybody did it. And God birthed this vibrant church. And I think it completely shattered his universe. And when he watched these people walk out of this awfulness into the glory of God, he couldn't help but be overwhelmed with love for them. They filled his heart with joy. They received the gospel with the spirit of God and they came behind in no gift, he says. The Holy Spirit power was there. And he had a love that caused the joy. But at the same time, he watched their egos step up. They had sin that they bragged about. They had corrupted the Lord's table and were perverting spiritual gifts. Same group of people. To the point that sin was becoming so strong that they were actually beginning to start to follow false teaching. And that brought him to tears. It broke his heart. But you know what? That's ministry. That is ministry. You know what? Some of you guys understand. Some of you know bits and pieces of my past. Okay? And it's a little bit of... (laughs) A little tough. Okay? And I made some enemies. Okay? And sometimes I worked at it. But you know what? I have been called more vile names by those who claim the name Christ than I ever was by bikers or drug dealers. You figured that one out. 
And there's times. All right. I have been accused of things that I could not even dream of as a lost man. But they accuse me of it now because you're a preacher. And you're like, what's wrong with that picture? You know, and I I remember one time, (laughs) I wouldn't have done that when I was lost. There ain't no way I'd have done that saved. But you know what? There's times when I back away from it and I understand the Apostle Paul. I understand why you and I are here is because the cause is so great. God has put such a tremendous value on people. Okay? And because of the value of people and because the cause is so great, we who minister will live in the extremes of emotions. We will have unbounded joy to the same degree that we have unbounded sorrow. There is no greater issues right now on the planet Earth at stake than people being reconciled to God. I don't care what you call it. I ain't worried about the elections. I'm not worried about the drive-in or the movie theaters. I ain't worried about any of these things. Okay? The, the issue on the table that is the single most important one on the planet is reconciliation of sinful man to a holy God. Listen, I have been around long enough. Some of you have been longer. Some of you have been way longer. I'm not going to name names. That, let's be realistic, in this life, there is discouragement. Right? Some of us has had an abundance of discouragement, right? But you know what? I would argue tad bit of biased here that none can none of the discouragements in life can compare to the sadness of a preacher who looks at people who reject divine truth now I'm talking about the faithful preacher I'm not talking some of these doodahs that are out there I'm talking about the guys who said thus saith the Lord those guys I can think of nothing that breaks a heart more. I can honestly say in my short time that that has probably... I would say that in my life that has scarred me more than anything. And I can also say there is no greater joy than those who would respond positively to divine truth. And you know what? I look at this and I look at the church in Corinth and Paul saw both the joy and the sorrow in its highest forms. Why? Because the ambassador will rejoice at the call. And yet, the true ambassador, the true minister 
will have tears and a broken heart of those who reject it. I was reading, again, Spurgeon's book, Lectures to My Student, and it started out, I can't remember, it's not in the introduction, maybe chapter one, but he, he's speaking to his students. And this is seminary level teaching. And he says to all of his students, if there be any task in existence, at that time, he, a cobbler, a baker, a mason, a musician. And he goes through this big old long list. If any of these will bring you joy, go back and do them. Do not follow this course of being a preacher. People have asked me about my, I have two boys. Would you ever want your boys to become preachers? No. In fact, I don't even have to think about it. No. But what? No. No. But I've told my boys, if God calls you, you can kick as long as you want. (laughs) I fought him for a long time for no apparent reason. Because I know for a fact that there will be such grief and sorrow you can't imagine. And there will be such joy and exaltation you can't imagine. And it, if God ain't with you, that will destroy you. Absolutely will destroy you. And I'm not saying you lose your salvation. I'm saying you can't handle it. You can't stand in that. Take the greatest depression you've ever experienced, multiply it by 10. Take the greatest joy you've ever experienced, multiply it by 10 and stand in the middle always. Do it. And I tell you what, you know, you need to pray without ceasing. You will. Because I learned along in a hard way. When the joy comes, you better be on your knees. Because the other boot is about to fall. And when you're in the sorrow, it's all right. Be on your knees. Why? Joy's right around the corner. You are either in the valley of the shadows, going into the valley of the shadows, or coming out of the valley of the shadows. But you're just going to go into another valley. That's what you and I have to understand. When I told you we were going to go into 2 Corinthians and it deals with ministry, this is not for the faint of heart. It never goes away. Spurgeon was right. If there's anything you can do that would bring you joy, do it. Because it... This heartache and this joy never ceases because that's the way people respond to truth. And you know what? I'll, I'll, just for your own information, in some ways it's worse in the church. The saddest part of ministry is not when an unbeliever rejects the truth. Okay? I believe that the saddest part is when believers don't respond to truth. 
I, I've never, I can honestly say I carry a heavier burden with that than anything else that I've ever endured in my entire life. Those who have the Holy Spirit, those who know the importance of the Spirit of God and the body of Christ, those who have the Word of God, those who have known His blessings and they don't obey. Breaks your heart. And, 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 and it's, a, it's a different way. It's crushing. You just... I mean, you know, I, I expect lost people to reject truth. I mean, I'm... Well, I, what do you expect them to do? But when I watch saved people walk away, I don't even know how to describe it. I, discouraged, disappointment. It's, uh, I, I, I classify that my great mystery. I don't know. And I have seen it. You know what? I, I look at life in the years that I have, and you know what? I do not get depressed by passing trials because passing trials are passing trials. Okay? The trial is for the testing of my faith. Okay? Now, understand that God's not trying to prove your faith to Him. He knows what it is. He's proving your faith to you. Little, trivial, joy things I do not get excited about. You know, your granddaughter just turned one. Yay. Okay, surprise. Her dad's still alive. (laughs) Okay, you know what? And everybody says, well, see how cold you are? No. You're not listening to what I'm saying. I mean, you don't care your granddaughter. Nope. Nope. Not really. Why? What if God wanted her to live 11 months? Then what happens? Whoa. Yeah. But see, if I look at it and say, what is truly important? Is my little granddaughter saved? See how we, we've all of a sudden, we just missed some of this stuff. And it, don't get me wrong. Yeah, that's great. But you know what? I'm an insulin dependent diabetic. How much chocolate cake am I going to eat? Okay, and I mean, you know, she's just going to have it all over everything. I've been through this. But is there joy? Yeah, there's joy. There's a scary part that my oldest is reproducing. Okay, but the other part of it is, all right, I'll get, well, this too will pass. That's why God's sending them below the equator. For the safety of humanity. (laughs) I, I see, see, we get involved with these things that we want to call joy, but then we get a trivial joy that rolls along here, and then all of a sudden this cataclysmic sorrow comes and destroys our joy. And that's when you talk about the Christian, I'm on the mountaintop, I'm on the valley top, I'm on the mountaintop. That ain't the walk, brothers and sisters. The walk is just this way, steady, you ain't moving it. 
We were talking this morning about Elijah. 400 prophets of Baal. Go ahead, pray to your God. Cut yourself. Maybe he's not listening. Maybe he's left. Just antagonize him. Okay, my turn. Let's pour water on it. Pour more water on it. I want to see puddles of water. God comes down, consumes it. Woof, it's all gone. Spirits are high. Hey, Jezebel wants to talk to you. I'm out of here. Okay, that ain't what we're called to. Now, if somebody named Jezebel comes after you, you might want to go find a tree. <laughs> but anyway, just, just, just an idea. The key to ministry is that you understand the tension that exists. Okay, because God offers the balance between it. That offers the balance between the honor and the dishonor. Between the joy and between the sorrow. That is the expression of this text. It's the nature of life for any faithful ambassador. It's the nature of life for any faithful minister. Now then, if you don't want to go through this and you're saved today, then step away from the king of kings. Be involved in the world because the world loves its own. And hang out there. You still have to see my boss. Okay? I'll just give you a heads up. Or, you can run the race with endurance. You can fight the good fight. You can be poured out as a drink offering and know that a crown of glory, a crown of righteousness is awaiting you in the presence of Jesus Christ. That's how it is. The Apostle Paul or any Christian who is faithful to the message of reconciliation will learn and understand this perspective. If you look at that outline, you'll see I got four points there. You have a privilege, a passion, a power, and a paradox. And that view is the viewing of the ministry. It is the viewing of the ambassador. It is the motivation of the Apostle Paul. And it gives us an outline to hang on to when you say, just as we said and prayed for Matt, here I am, send me. Because once you take that step, you're going to start understanding the things that used to bring you joy are trivial. You're going to understand that the things that brought you heartache can't compare to what's about to come. But the joy of being a faithful minister to the Lord Jesus Christ will overwhelm you. In spite of all of the heartache, all the trials, all of the discouragements that will come. An ambassador is defined in what he is and how he does it in these first 10 verses is for all of us. And you know what? I'll close with this. You read these four and you say, okay, he come up with a bunch of P words. Um, did good, huh? <laughs> the reason it took me so long to get into this text, it took me that long to come up with an outline. The privilege, the passion, the power, and the paradox. Let me tell you something. If you're going to be faithful to the ministry of reconciliation, you cannot do three out of four here. You will be run over. You will be run over. Because the human body, the human psyche, whatever you want to call it, is not capable of the sorrow and joy that is before us. So in the next few weeks, we will be looking at the privilege and the passion and the power and the paradox of the joy and sorrow of ministry. And Matt and Shannon will get to see it in lovely South Dakota.
the land of, was it four stone heads? No. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, to your glory and praise. Thank you for my brother Paul. And Father, all he did endure for the gospel. Father, may we be found faithful. May we run the race with endurance. May we run understanding the amazement of what you do. Father, I thank you for the time you've given this fellowship and myself with Matt and Shannon. And Lord, as they have helped us, I pray that we have helped them and that, Father, they will stand in that grace that is in Christ Jesus and that as you have already laid before them, as you led Joshua, Father, may they follow and be encouraged by the amazement of what you do. Father, I lift this congregation to you. Many things are before us. Father, let us rest in the Lord of the Sabbath. To your glory and praise. Amen.